0: Do, 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 do. Attention Portland, Maine. We are coming there very soon. Mm-hmm. You guys need to buy your tickets now.
1: Yeah, uh, not just Portland, Maine, but as you know, outside of Boston, this is our big New England uh, debut Sure. So people should come from all over.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to just live in Portland. They'll let you in the city to see us. Yeah, you
1: can like you can live on one of those little rocky islands, mm-hmm. and you can boat over and see us.
0: Right. So however you get there, just be sure that you're at the State Theater on August 30th, 2019 for our show, because mm-hmm. it's going to be great. Ask the people in Chicago. Ask the people in Toronto. Ask the people in Boston who will have seen us the day before. Just... Buy some tickets. Go to sysklive.com and come see us, August 30th, State Theater.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know, Iran Contra Part 2, starting now. Let's
1: go! Uh, maybe we should do a quick catch up. Oh, okay. Um, well, we're still going. (laughs) You acted like I just went to sleep. No, it's true. (laughs) Uh, so what's going on here is the the United States is, uh, Congress has decided that we cannot fund the Contras to fight the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. Right. Shut off funding. So the Reagan administration, uh, makes a deep covert push Mm -hmm. to continue doing so. Right through uh, a bunch of fun and shady ways.
0: Right. They're fundraising. They're directly arming the Contras. They're training them, doing all sorts of crazy stuff.
1: Yes, but if you know that this is about Iran-Contra, and you're like, what about Iran? What's going on here? I haven't heard anything about Iran. Keep your socks on. Well, here we go. This is where Iran enters the picture.
0: Right. You can take your socks off.
1: All right, go. (laughs) Are your socks on? (laughs) Uh, I've got on little footie socks, yeah.
0: I do too. Cool. Oh, Jerry does too. <laughs> Sweet. It's the way to go.
1: Jerry ha- has those true footies where you can't even see him at all. I can see them. Mine peek out just a little, which I'm not a huge fan of.
0: Well, check out mine. Yeah, no see-ems. No see Okay. Enter Iran. We really... That was a great intro and it just went away. That's right. So, um, on the other side of the world, from Nicaragua... Uh, there was another foreign policy disaster simmering that Reagan had going, and it was in the form of Iran. And specifically, it wasn't even in the form of Iran. It was in the form of a a, a problem mm-hmm. that America had. doesn't really have much these days, but definitely did in the 70s and 80s, where uh, Americans would be taken hostage around the world, um, but specifically, almost exclusively, by Lebanese terrorists who were, if not... Working on behalf of Iran, were definitely sponsored by Iran. And regardless of who is president, the fact that there were hostages being held by another country and there wasn't anything we could do about it. That was a real blemish on the presidency. It was not a a very proud thing to think about for America, but that was reality for a while there.
1: Yeah. So Iran at the time, this is the early 80s. This is just a few years removed from the Iranian Revolution of 1979. And this is where we've talked about it before. Go look up photos of Iran in the mid-70s, pre-revolution. Right. And it looks like London in the swinging 60s and 70s. Yeah. Very kind of hip place to be. Uh, Iranian revolution happens. Uh, Fundamentalists take control of the government. There was previously um, the Shah of Iran who was um, friendly to the West. Sure. Friendly to America generally. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini – Khomeini?
0: I've always heard Khomeini
1: Khomeini um, installed a Islamic theocracy and bad things started happening pretty quickly.
0: yeah, there was a it was a about as quick a turn about face politically and socially as you could imagine. yeah for a whole country, yeah, yeah,
1: but not everyone in the country as we'll learn. Like the whole country didn't just change overnight.
0: No, but the, the, the Islamic theocracy was in power. Sure. Very much so. Yeah. One of the things that happened was um, they were not very fond of America or Americans. And the um, American embassy was famously stormed. And 66 Americans working there were taken hostage yeah. and held for more than a year. Man, I think that it was, was like—
1: This is stuff I really remember.
0: Like 440 days or something.
1: Yeah, 444 like that. days. Man. The Iranian hostage crisis. I remember this as a nine-year-old very clearly. Really? Oh, yeah.
0: I have no recollection of it. Yeah,
1: it it was a big deal. Yellow ribbons, and it was on the news constantly.
0: I remember entering the the room and being like, what does this have to do with Rainbow (laughs) Bright? Turn this (laughs) newscast.
1: I even remember, so what happened was, uh, Jimmy Carter did not get these hostages free during his... uh, his, I was about to say rain, but sort of the opposite of who Jimmy Carter was. <laughs> That's what everybody thinks of during his administration, his iron-fisted reign, the days of terror. <laughs> uh, but within a few days, and that may have cost him the election. But within a few days of, or hours even of Reagan's inauguration, the hostages were freed. And I remember as, as a nine-year-old mm-hmm. hearing kids parroting their parents' conversations, like it was really Carter that had him freed. Oh, know, yeah. all the work he did up until then, uh-huh. and then other kids saying, are you kidding me? As soon as Reagan got in office, they knew that they were toast, right? and that Reagan wasn't going to be a patsy like Carter. Right. And I was like, what's a patsy? <laughs> <laughs> who are these dudes? <laughs> no, but I remember very distinctly, it's weird, like on the playground hearing this stuff. That's funny. Yeah. Like I, little nine-year-olds. I
0: definitely didn't hear this when I was a kid, but I remember hearing later on as a grown-up, um, still in a rainbow bright, uh, that it was Reagan's campaign was somehow in touch with Iran. Yeah. And that they brokered this. It also got them to wait um, to release the hostages until after Reagan was in office. The the timing was was not at all. Hours after
1: his inauguration. Right. No accident.
0: It's a little fishy. You know what I mean? But whether it was, that's funny that I'm sure somebody's parents were like, yeah, it's because they were so scared of Reagan. They knew that they better release these guys. That's totally not the case because there were other hostages taken by other by actual um, Lebanese terrorists who were probably sponsored by Iran and that were they were held throughout Reagan's presidency
1: yeah and that that's sort of a big part of this the second half of this story right. was the fact that that was very embarrassing for Reagan he didn't like hostages being held on his watch
0: no but he had campaigned against negotiating with terrorists under any well, circumstances yeah. so he's stuck now yeah, because he's basically saying if you get taken hostage, I mean, you're on your own. We're, we'll we'll use our rhetoric and whatever we can to influence you being released, but we're not going to negotiate yeah. for your release. That's yeah. just the way
1: it is. And that's a longstanding American policy. Right. And it makes sense because if you negotiate uh, with terrorists, then that's just going to lead to more kidnappings. Yeah. Because they know that you're open for business.
0: Like anywhere in the world. Yeah. There was a, a kidnapping of TWA Flight 847, very very famous one. You know the picture of like the pilot leaning out of the cockpit oh, sure. and the guys in yeah, the yeah. picture with the gun behind him. That was 847, um, right? And that was a uh, that I mean they that was I remember that one. That was I was probably nine then. And that was just scary because they were flying all over the place. You had no idea what was going to happen. People were being beaten on the plane. One Navy guy was beaten in, shot, and his body thrown out on the tarmac.
1: Yeah, the 80s, like, it seems comparatively tame now in a lot of ways compared to the things that used to go on. Thank McDonald's. Hijackings and kidnappings and hostages. It's like the 80s were nuts. They were nuts. But um, Pac-Man? (laughs) <laughs> right, you know, Pac-Man Ms. fever, Pac-Man, rapping Rodney, it was crazy.
0: Right, <laughs> Rapping like are, is that Roddy Piper?
1: No, rapping Rodney
0: Dangerfield, his big hit. Oh yeah, Rap yeah and Rodney yeah. yeah. No respect. What no about that? What about the icky <laughs> shuffle? That was a little crazy. Uh, was that 80s? Sure, late 80s. I guess so. Okay, I got one for you. Okay, the uh, the Bears. What was their thing? Oh, the Super Bowl shuffle. The Super Bowl shuffle, right? Yeah, that was pretty 80s. I think they were '84.
1: Yeah, we're putting, uh, you know, my band every year plays, for sure, one gig at Decatur's Porch Fest. Mm-hmm. And every year we do, try to do a theme, and this year we're doing 80s sort of new wave. Nice. And I jokingly suggested Pac-Man Fever the, and Rappin' Rodney. <laughs>
0: but are you guys going to do it? No, those oh, okay. songs are terrible. Do you have a synth player playing with you?
1: I bought Emily a keyboard,
0: and she's learning. Awesome. Yeah. She's going to be like, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. That's cool, man. <laughs> no, she's practicing. I've heard her do that... Um,
1: I mean, she played piano when she was a kid, so okay. it's not the biggest stretch.
0: I've heard that one uh, that her do that one Blondie song that she just brought the house down. Yeah,
1: we might one way or another. Yes, we might bring that back because that's eighties. Yeah, or was that seventies?
0: It was so know. close on the cusp. I seriously <laughs> doubt anybody's going to throw a beer can at you for it.
1: Anyway, Porch Fest, everyone. I'll publicize it in October. Nice. So Reagan's hands are tied um, in every way possible because he can't on he, he can't negotiate with terrorists. Uh The only option is to send in a a covert Delta Force team.
0: Which Carter tried that, and it didn't
1: work. it doesn't always work. You could lose your own men, and I think that's what happened in Carter's case, right? Yeah, for sure. So what he can do, though, without anyone knowing, is totally negotiate with terrorists.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just as long as the American public doesn't know, sure. Yeah, and that's what happened. And he followed that Reagan playbook where it's like, okay, I said this. Well, if I just change this one little part, right. it makes it all fine. That's right. Again, as long as the American public doesn't know. So while Reagan said America will never negotiate with, with hostages, they didn't say Israel will never negotiate with, On with our uh, behalf. terrorists for hostages. Right. Yeah. So actually Israel had a long-standing policy of negotiating with terrorists. They would, they would kidnap people from the other side, and then they'd be like, all right, I'll give you five guys— well, I've only got two. Let me kidnap a few people. Okay, now I have five. Like there would be negotiations for hostage exchanges all the time. Yeah, between, between Israel and Palestine. Right. They, Palestine. Would, they, they just knew what they were doing. So they said, okay, well, if, if Israel goes to Iran and says, hey, you know this American over there, uh, why don't you get them released? We can help you out with some stuff. What yeah. do you think about this?
1: Yeah, so earlier when I mentioned the fact that Iran, as whole cloth did not change overnight – as a country, mm-hmm. the, the government did, but there were still some plenty of people there that were a little more moderate in their views, and the Reagan administration had a channel to them. Right. So he was talking to them, these more moderate factions, and making a little headway, and they were like, by the way, we'll totally give you these hostages if you give us arms.
0: Yeah, because Iran was fighting um, the Iran-Iraq war, at least half of it.
1: Yeah, and this is just where stuff is just totally crazy because we were we were funding both sides. At the very least
0: we were advising both sides.
1: Well, I mean, we directly gave money. Oh, to yeah, you're Iraq. right. No, you're right. We sold them weapons mm-hmm. and we provided training and intelligence.
0: Right. I and knew- this was
1: uh, this wasn't secret. This was like right. a real deal thing.
0: We were publicly supporting Iraq, but then we were secretly arming Iran.
1: Yeah, I think what they never proved beyond a doubt was that we went to uh, Saddam Hussein and said, hey, why don't you go in there and overthrow Iran? Oh, really? Yeah, there was never... Like we started it? I don't think that was ever... It, there was a lot of uh, circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. that that was the case, mm-hmm. but never like the smoking gun that we actually encouraged Saddam Hussein to do so. Gotcha. But it's just, man, when you look at how all this played out over the years, it's just maddening. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, it's... it's a show
1: yeah so Iraq and Iran are fighting we're supplying both mm-hmm. playing both sides of the coin right uh, and we offered arms to Iran and who are you gonna call Israel not, not ghostbusters
0: oh Gorbanafar
1: well you're gonna call Ali
0: North. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I would have gotten there eventually. <laughs> yeah, because, okay, so remember, Ollie North is this total novice when it comes to covert operations. Well, but by not this anymore, time, yeah. Yeah, he's been running the Nicaragua op for years now. Yeah. And just doing a bang-up job of it. So they, they're like, well, sure, we'll have him do this incredibly illegal, super sensitive arms sale to Iran, too. Why don't you come on over here, Ollie? And Ollie said, well, okay, that's fine, but I need to go get the lay of the land. And he actually traveled to Iran. With a fake passport under an assumed name, William P. Good, mm-hmm. with an E, mm-hmm. and um, when he went, it was it was dangerous enough that William Casey, supposedly Oliver North later testified, gave him cyanide pills so that he could take his own life rather than be tortured by the Iranians. If if this were in fact like some sort of setup,
1: again, right out of a movie.
0: Yeah, but Oliver North went to Iran with cyanide pills and a fake passport. Yeah. <laughs> Billy good. Yeah. <laughs> so everything went great though. It did. He didn't need the cyanide pills after all. He did not.
1: Um, he dealt with, uh, like you mentioned earlier, this Iranian uh, businessman named uh, Gorbanafar. And this guy was 10 shades of shady, so much so that the CIA wouldn't even deal with him.
0: No, they issued a burn notice on him in 1983. Which is I don't even know what that is. That means just it's a he's, TV show. he's dead to us. It's basically st- stay away. Okay. It's putting him on blast to all the other intelligence agencies in the world. Saying, gotcha.
1: Persona non grata. CIA
0: won't even deal with this guy. And so Ollie North is like, yeah, I'll deal with this guy.
1: All right. So with his help, uh, Oliver North set up a deal um, where, <laughs> and it's so simple to look at. Like Israel, you give them your missiles, uh-huh. and then we'll just replace those missiles for you with right. our missiles. Yep. So we're not giving the missiles. You no.
0: are. And because no American explicitly said to Iran, hey, we're doing this so that you guys will get these hostages released, it wasn't an arms for hostages deal. And so Reagan's vow to never negotiate with terrorists remained intact.
1: That's right. Uh, 508 uh, TOW, TOW missiles. Mm -hmm.
0: What does that stand for? Tube-launched optically tracked wireless guided missile, which is like... It's like a, a the the tube launch there's a tube mm-hmm. and it can be uh like mounted on the ground, mounted on a jeep. It's super portable, but mm-hmm. they are they'll blow some stuff up. I think I've seen these. You have.
1: So 508 of these um made it from Israel to Iran and then in very short order, a couple of days later, one of the hostages, Benjamin Weir, a uh, minister who was held by Lebanese terrorists for 16 months was released. So it worked.
0: It did work, Huzzah. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal around the White House, too. Um, but they said, let's try it again. But this time, it seemed a little messy to get Israel involved. Let's just do this ourselves. Ali, you think you can handle this? And he said, sure. Me and Gorbanafor have this. So rather than Israel giving arms to Iran, Richard Secord got brought in, just like with Nicaragua. And again, this isn't like years after Nicaragua. Right. Nicaragua is at full bore and full swing. Oh, it's still going, yeah. And Ali North is running both operations simultaneously. Um, and so the, the new setup was the department of defense would sell the CIA missiles for (laughs) 3,700 bucks a pop. Yeah. The CIA would sell them to Richard Secord at cost. Mm -hmm. And then Secord would sell them to Gorbanifar for 10 grand a piece. And then Gorbanifar would go sell them to Iran for whatever he charged Iran. Can you imagine? I can't. I guarantee it was more than the 10 grand. Yeah. And this happened multiple times over the course of a little over a year. America secretly transferred 2,000 missiles and missile parts to Iran um, in eight shipments.
1: Yeah, for the release of hostages.
0: Yeah, ultimately there were three hostages that got released out of seven that had been taken hostage total.
1: Yeah, and didn't he say ultimately there were three more hostages taken? Mm-hmm. So they netted out at zero.
0: At zero. Yeah. So, um, but that was that was the whole Iran operation.
1: Yeah, but here's the deal: this price markup means that that shell company um, and those Swiss bank accounts were making a lot of money, and so much so that I think one of them had three million dollars made in interest alone. Yeah. So at some point, someone's like, "Hey." This this is a money making operation now. Mm-hmm. Why don't we tie a little bow on all this, and use some of that money to fund the contras? Because you guys are doing both of these things, yeah. and you need money. Congress won't give it to you. Forget the fundraising omelets. Right. <laughs> we'll just use the money from these illegal
0: arm sales yep. to fund the contras. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. So to put it in plain terms, America illegally. And secretly sold missiles to Iran, used the proceeds from those missile sales to secretly and illegally fund the Contras to help them overthrow their government down in Nicaragua. That's what the Reagan administration did. That's right. That's why it's called Iran-Contra. That's where they came together. There was a diversion of funds.
1: Yeah. And the – I think it was by 1986, um, Congress finally got back on board because of this drumbeat from Reagan. Mm -hmm over the years of how much we need to really do this officially. And keep in mind, Congress still didn't know any of this is going on. Right. Secretly. Yeah. Um, and then Congress said, all right, we'll give you $100 million to aid this cause. Um, and, and Reagan you said, think hot, that- hot diggity <laughs> dog. <laughs> you would think that was the end of all the uh,
0: covert stuff. It wasn't, though. No. No, it still continued on, but now it was legitimized and had even better funding. But that was not the uh, the end of the whole thing. Like everybody didn't just get to walk away and say, Whew, "That was close," because the whole thing started to come apart, actually. And I say that we take an ad break yes. and come back and talk about it. Great. After this. Well, now when you're on the road driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. All right. <laughs> Okay, Chuck, so 1986, Congress is back on board. I think it's uh, worth pointing out that that's exactly four years after the Democrats took control of the House in 1982, so I wonder if the Republicans took control back in 86, and that's why the funding got turned back on to the Contras.
1: We could solve this.
0: I I like to speculate (laughs) instead. (laughs) So this all
1: might have, uh, who knows if this ever would have even been found out, had it not been for the uh, sharpshooting yeah. of a young Sandinistan soldier named Jose Fernando Canales Alman. Nice. in uh, October 5th, 1986, there was a cargo plane, a C-123 called the Provider, um, flying 70 Soviet Kalashnikovs, mm-hmm. 100,000 rounds of ammo, rocket grenades, and other supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of those things where you said they would fly things over and kick them out the back of the plane. Sure. This is one of those those uh, runs.
0: Yeah. The problem with this particular run, though, is that they did this at 2,500 feet in broad daylight. Yeah, they got a little lazy. Uh, a tad bit. Or the, maybe cocky. I don't even know if it was that. I think it was more like this was just work. It was an everyday right. job by this time. they have been doing it for years. Yeah. You know, and the operation was just humming along so nicely that it was almost on autopilot.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, they they did this one supply drop on October 5th, 1986, in broad daylight. And there were four crew
1: aboard, William J. Cooper, Wallace, Buzz Sawyer, Freddie Vilches, and a guy named Eugene Hassenfuss, mm-hmm. who, uh, and again, this sliding doors thing, Hassenfuss is the only guy who had a parachute. He borrowed it from his brother, a skydiver, because, you know, he thought it might be smart to take a parachute. Right. No one else had parachutes. No. Had he not had a parachute, this may have turned out differently.
0: It, it may have for sure. He was the only one that survived this plane crash because he was the only one who borrowed the parachute from his brother. And he jumped out, landed, made it safely into the jungle. And I think he actually survived and evaded the Sandinistas for maybe a day or something like that before he was captured. And when he was captured, they led him out of the jungle like um, with a rope around his neck just just about as big of a prisoner as you can imagine. Yeah. Super publicized. There were billboards of, of him being led around by Sandinistas. And they started asking him questions. And he was like, what do you want to know? Yeah, he sang like a canary. He really did. <laughs> he said, uh, this is my 10th supply mission. Uh, I presume that the CIA is running this. I don't know. And he would know. This would be something that he would he he could legitimately guess at at least because he had actually worked on CIA um, airdrops over Vietnam or Cambodia for Air America back in the Vietnam War.
1: Yeah, but he wasn't like uh, – he sings like a canary because he's not very high up on the totem pole. Like mm, his mm. job was to get up there and shove this stuff out of the back of the plane right. for three grand a month. Right, right. He he
0: wasn't even a CIA operator. He's just a former Marine who had had a background working with Air America years before. But by this time, by the time he joins on um, doing this for the Contras, he was like working as a a construction worker part time in Wisconsin back home. So this was like pretty good money. I think he was getting seven grand in today's dollars a month. For basically kicking A K forty seven crates out the back of a, a plane over Nicaragua.
1: Yeah, so he's not the kind of guy that's gonna take the fall. Right. For anyone. So it's, he's he's singing like a canary.
0: Even if he had kept his mouth shut, it right. wouldn't have mattered, well, it sounds that's true. like, right?
1: Yeah, because um all the other guys, including Hassan Fuss, uh, had their wallets on the plane. <laughs> they had all their employee ID cards, and in fact I don't even think we mentioned in episode one um the the company w- that was set up to do these drops was set up. Uh, it's called Southern Air Transport out of, I guess, Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they all had their Southern Air Transport ID cards, which was the CIA front.
0: Like everybody knew Southern business. Air Transport was a CIA front. <laughs> so they might as well have had like CIA junior badges or something. Right, in their or wallets. like uh,
1: Michael Keaton and Out of Sight when he has the big FBI t-shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Oh, you haven't seen Out of Sight? No. Is that the oh, one God. where he— That's George he...
1: Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Is he a bad guy in it? No, he's a good guy, but oh, okay. he walks in. He plays Ray Nicolette, who played uh same character in Jackie Brown, FBI guy. Okay. But it's funny because he walks in with an FBI t-shirt on and Dennis Farina is Jennifer Lopez's dad, and he's a former cop, and he goes, hey, Ray, let me ask you, you got one that says undercover?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Farina, man, class oh, ad. I mean, you got to see out of sight. That's classic. All right, I'll check it out. Like one of the better movies. I mean, I know exactly the movie you're talking about. Steven and I just avoided it like the plague.
1: It's so good. Okay. You would love it. All right. So, Southern Air Transport, CAA Front. There's also a log book that connected this flight uh, and all the other flights. And then Hassanfuss in his wallet had a business card to Robert W. Owen... This is a big one. ...who was working with Oliver North in Washington.
0: Right, which, so that provided a direct line between Oliver North... Oh, yeah. ...and some guys who were kicking Kalashnikovs out of the back of a plane over Nicaragua. Yeah. So that was a really big deal that when this guy got captured and, you know, told the Sandinistas as much as he knew because the Sandinistas were like, attention, world! Yeah. Listen to what we just found out. The CIA has... Um, Totally been funding these contra rebels who are trying to overthrow this sovereign government, mm-hmm. and um, we think you guys should know about it.
1: Yeah, and it was um, it wasn't like you could totally discount that, even though it was from the Sandinistas, mm-hmm. like Congress and the American media were like, "What?" I'm sure Congress was like, "Wait a minute, right? <laughs> this this reeks of like something that had been happening that we tried to shut down."
0: Yeah, because remember. Even if the CIA was briefing Congress, it was either Bill Casey or Dewey Claridge, and they were doing a really obtuse job of this, keeping Congress at arm's length. So anytime something like this came out, almost none of Congress knew the full extent of this, and it was always in flagrant violation of whatever Congress wanted or whatever Congress had agreed to.
1: Yeah, and this wasn't, like, this was sort of the straw that broke it all open, Mm -hmm. or that broke the camel's back. Um, Broke
0: the camel's back wide open. (laughs) Oh, God, that's gross. Poor camel. (laughs)
1: Uh, Things have been unraveling for a bit. There was a party in 1985 in Virginia (laughs) thrown thrown
0: by Soldier of Fortune magazine. (laughs) Can you imagine? No. What's that party like? I don't want to know. I can't imagine. I used to read Soldier of Fortune when I was in my ninja training as, like, a 10-year-old boy. And even then, I was like, this this magazine makes my stomach hurt. And
1: it's in 1985. Like, can you imagine the amount of, like— blow being secretly done in the bathroom at that party?
0: Sure. But also, they were making snuff movies in the living right. room, and <laughs> there's no telling what was going on in a Soldier of Fortune. We can tell you, at the very least, there was a lot of boasting going on yeah. openly about this Contra operation. And again, this is a time when people don't know about this stuff. Yeah,
1: but you know what happens is, like, you get enough people and enough years, mm-hmm. and people start talking, people yep. start bragging. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're you you have a couple of gin and tonics at a soldier of fortune party, Sure. and you're like, "Hey, guess what?" And the, that's what happened.
0: Somebody goes, "What?" Yeah, and you go, "Here it comes."
1: Yeah, and they drop the you know they drop the bomb that what's been going on. A concerned citizen hears this. I guess he must have been mistakenly invited <laughs> to the soldier of fortune I, I party. I don't know how
0: that guy got invited. Or they just happened to talk to the wrong guy or whatever. But probably that he was like, "I am." really fearful of my life for saying something about this, but I feel like somebody should know. So we went to a lawyer, uh, a human rights lawyer named David Sheehan, and he said, you go tell everybody. You put your life on the line.
1: And he did. He submitted an affidavit to federal court, started uh, doing interviews, talking to journalists, drumming Mm -hmm. up support. Mm -hmm. White House was like, we don't know what you're talking about. You're
0: a crazy man.
1: Like this is all 100% made up. And uh, finally, it took a Lebanese newspaper, um, Al Shira, that reported on this deal, this arms for hostage deal, mm-hmm. like in a legitimate newspaper.
0: Right. So now both stories have been blown open. You've got Eugene Hassanfus captured and the Contra operation is blown open. And now Al Shira um, is, is reporting on the Iran arms for hostage deal. And really, crazily enough... These two separate arms of this one scandal came out within a month of each other. Yeah. Which is, it's bizarre. But that's what happened. And now it was like, there's, it's on the table. America's media knows about it. Congress knows about it. Heads are about to roll. All
1: right. We'll take our final break and we'll come back and uh, talk about the aftermath of
0: Iran-Contra. Well, now when you're on the road... Driving in your truck? Why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. All right. All right, Chuck. You promised after math. Let's hear it.
1: All right, so. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, just lol. Every everything is exposed. Um, Oliver North uh, was no longer in business doing his thing.
0: No, he he shut down shop real quick.
1: He did, but not before uh, very famously he and his um, very '80s haired secretary, Fawn Hall. Mm -hmm. I forgot. I looked. I was like Fawn Hall. I looked her up, and as soon as I saw her, I was like, right, yeah, Fawn Hall. Sure, who can forget that hair? She could barely walk through a door.
0: No, it was ginormous (laughs) for sure.
1: It's so great. I would be fearful around a shredder if I were her. (laughs) But she was not fearful at all. She and Oliver North spent a day. uh, They they called it a shredding party. I mean, we will never know the the full truth behind this because of all the evidence that they shredded.
0: Yep. As far as anyone knows, Oliver North decided on his own to shred every document he had on it. That's right. And yeah, that's that's it. It's it's now it's the the um, official narrative that has been written into the history book, which you can just guarantee is not anywhere near the full story.
1: Right. So it all comes out. uh, The Reagan administration start looking around and they're like, well, who who's going to be the patsy for this one? And Oliver North could not escape it. No, but they're like, he's small potatoes he's, he's, he'll, he'll go down.
0: Well, I think he was even willing to take the fall. Like he knew he was going to be the fall guy and was like, okay, that's part of the job.
1: Right. But they knew that it had to, the American public and certainly Congress wasn't going to be satisfied with just Oliver North. Right. So
0: who did they land on? So the, the official line became this. Poindexter, and I guess McFarland would have started it, became, Uh, fully aware of just how badly Reagan wanted to help the Contras and said, I'm going to do something about this and tapped Ollie North and said, we need to help the Contras out. Go help them out. Figure it out. And North went off and basically went rogue on his own and set up this whole operation, created this entire network with Secord, decided to do the Iranian arms deal, all this stuff basically on his own. Right. Like
1: Reagan and Bush knew nothing about it.
0: Nothing about it. And that the buck stopped at Poindexter. Ultimately, it didn't go any further. William Casey being CIA, he was basically out of the loop. Um, that was the official story they came out with. That's right. And America went, you're kidding, right? This is a joke?
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember these hearings, um, even as a little kid, like, watching these and then watching the news coverage of it. Mm -hmm. And, like we mentioned, Oliver North strolling in there with his dress uniform and, uh, you know, by all accounts, being a pretty stand-up guy. Like, he didn't rat anyone out.
0: He didn't, but he also... He was like, there's there's no way the president didn't know about this. He said, I don't have any direct evidence that the president did know about it, but right. it's my understanding that the president was fully aware of what was going on.
1: Yeah, what was the deal with this
0: missile supply shipment, though? That's the one thing I didn't quite get. So there was... It, North got rid of all the documents that he could, right? Right. Well, North didn't have any control over CIA documents. And at that first missile resupply, uh, okay. where they were resupplying Israel, yeah. he had a CIA. He basically said, hey, CIA, do you know anybody I can use to ship these things? I'm, I'm, I've am I'm got an emergency here. I need to get these to Israel fast. Yeah. And the CIA, being the CIA is still a bureaucracy, they had to document... This event. Right. So there was a document out there now. Right. That was not shredded. Right. That he couldn't get his hands on, that he couldn't shred. And so this led to Reagan taking responsibility or saying, okay, I was aware of this this Iran missile deal Mm -hmm. by backdating an order to William Casey saying, I order you not to tell Congress about this, even though you're supposed to. So Reagan basically said, on paper— I know about this Iran, this one missile transfer to Iran, had no idea about the Contras. Right, okay. And at first they started out denying everything. Oh, yeah, like
1: after this Al Shira story that we talked about, he went on television, Reagan did, and denied everything.
0: Every, he said all this is just total BS.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, Ten let's, days. now let's
0: stop talking about right. it, everybody.
1: <laughs> Ten days after that, Reagan had another press conference where he talked about the Iran operation and he acknowledged it, but said, what we're really doing here is just trying to sort of send a signal to Iran that we are we want friendlier relations. Right. That and they it was were... not arms for hostage.
0: Exactly. And then, so that was 10 days after the first denial. Right. And then four months after that, because the reporting would not stop, he basically said, okay, yeah. It, whatever it started out as, I admit that it devolved into an arms for hostage deal. That's right. Which even that, even that admission, which is the closest he ever came to admitting, you know, responsibility for it. Yeah. Even that's just total BS and fantasy. It was from the outset an arms for hostages deal. Right. The whole thing was set up to get hostages released, and that that was it. So there was there was no other way to put it. Yeah. But that's, he, he denied that to his dying day.
1: Uh, as far as fallout, uh, Poindexter resigned. Oliver North was fired. Um, Casey died in a hospital um, not too long after this whole thing like was exposed. I mean, like weeks. Yeah. So um, the press was all over the
0: president. He um, appointed the Tower Commission um, yeah, the, to look the, into this. The president appointed a commission to investigate. Yeah. The president's own administration's wrongdoing.
1: That's right. And it was determined that uh, Reagan's disengagement from the management of his White House created conditions such that it was possible that he did not know about this
0: which that is the absolute best official finding he could have hoped for because yeah. it basically says Reagan didn't know. He had a rogue guy working for him, a true believer, a patriot, but Reagan didn't know about this, and, yeah, he should have he should have had a closer watch on his executive branch, but he didn't. What are you going to do? Let's get Mr. T in here for a photo op with Nancy. <laughs>
1: uh, there was a criminal investigation, and what they were really um, honing in on was the $18 million in profits. Mm-hmm. Um, that that were made and what happened to that money, where it went. Uh, Fourteen people were charged. Um, Oliver North was tried and found guilty on three counts. Yeah. Uh, one of the counts was um, for getting a uh, sixteen thousand dollars security system installed uh, in his home, courtesy of Secord. Yeah. With, with that money,
0: there was a rumor that his his there was a bounty on his head from terrorists. Right. And Secord um, hooked him up. Right. Now, that was a big problem for North because North's whole bag was I was following orders that I assumed were coming from the president, ultimately, Mm -hmm. and I was doing it out of my patriotic duty and a sense of, you know, I was a true believer that we need to get rid of communism. And the American public loved it. They were like, great, make this man a saint. Right? Congress started to love it, too, and he, he got off. But that was a real problem because it's saying, well, you took this gift Right. From funds from this illicit arms sales.
1: Right, but it was a gift of a security system to help protect his right. family. So it's not like, you know, it was a gift of 10 pounds of blow and like... <laughs> right. You
0: know. And a Nicaraguan <laughs> sex worker from the Sandinista government.
1: Exactly. Uh, Secord was convicted of one count of lying to Congress uh, and the investigators. Um, he basically denied that North received any funds from any of this. So it still kind of hinged on that security system, I right. guess. right. And So, everybody went to jail forever after that point, right? No, that's not true at all.
0: <laughs> what? Um,
1: Hakeem got two years probation, a $5,000
0: fine. Secor got two years probation. Is that what he got? Yep, both. Two them. years probation? So, the two guys who were actually running the company that ran this whole thing, each got two years probation.
1: Uh, North's conviction was overturned on a technicality, and President Bush, the, the senior Bush, mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve, um, and this was Christmas Eve as he was leaving office, right? Yep. He issued six pardons, basically la- la- let everyone off the hook, including Casper Weinberger, who hadn't even gone to trial yet.
0: No, and neither had um, Dwayne Claridge. Dewey Claridge was oh. going to stay in trial, too. Both of them received preemptive pardons, and a lot of people are like, that was about the shadiest set of pardons anyone's ever issued because there's a lot of people out there who say Bush really walked away from this scot-free, but there is no way he wasn't even more involved in this than Reagan was.
1: Yeah, I mean, George Bush withheld uh, subpoenaed his subpoenaed diary entries mm-hmm. that basically indicated that he had full knowledge of this the entire time. Um, eventually, in 1992, uh, independent counsel Lawrence Walsh um, Asked for these again, and Bush, like, said, I asked you for these diary entries, and Bush was like, I didn't, you did? <laughs> I didn't fully understand. Uh, it was inadvertent. Like, yeah. you asked me for a lot of stuff. I didn't know you asked me for the diary entries. Right. And uh, Walsh was really upset, and he said, the Iran contra, contra? Cover-up mm-hmm. has now been completed, uh, and George Bush is a president who has such a contempt for honesty and arrogant disregard for the rule of law.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, the, 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 the forestalling that the Reagan White House and then later on the Bush White House did um, in, in allowing these investigations to go forward and, and trying to keep Congress at arm's length after everything came out, it worked because there were articles of impeachment introduced in the House Um against Ronald Reagan, yeah. and they managed to stave him off to where it was like, well, he's leaving office anyway, forget about it. This investigation took years and years and years, and then finally when Bush pardoned everybody, that was it. There was nothing else to do. Ev- everybody who was involved was implica- was was off scot-free. And then um, the fact that Oliver North had shredded all those documents, they were all lost to history, like the actual truth is lost to history.
1: Yeah, Reagan, uh, his reputation took a hit, a temporary hit, Um, For a while there, he went from 63 percent in the span of a couple of months to 43 to 47 percent, depending on which poll you looked at on his approval rating. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would get it back, though, Um, despite in the 1990 deposition, the very, very famous deposition where Ronald Reagan said, I don't remember or I don't recall, 88 times. Uh, That was a very big deal. It was all over the news. Yeah, it was. Um, Almost as famous or just as famous as Bill Clinton's very famous. uh, Depends what your definition of is, is. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) But uh, Reagan rebounded. He did, man, to the most popular presidency since FDR, right?
1: Yeah, upon his exit, his his approval rating had bounced all the way back up to the early 60s.
0: Mr. T famously carried him out of the White House on his shoulders (laughs) on his last day in office. Oh, man. So that's a Ron Contra, man. What a story. heck of a story. Where's this movie? I don't know. Hopefully we'll get some rights to it after this episode.
1: I I want to play Fawn Hall.
0: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That's great. You get Jerry to play Fawn Hall. That'd be great, Jerry. Um, Well, in the meantime, while we find a a suitable wig for Jerry, um, you can... uh, find out more about Iran-Contra by going and reading contemporary articles on it. I'm telling you, it's really awesome. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail.
1: I'm going to call this follow-up on the moon landing thing. Hey guys, in my opinion, the Apollo missions and moon landings are the most significant events in the history of life on Earth. Mm-hmm, you're right. uh, on the question why the command module and lunar lander were launched separated, I think the reason was to allow the command module to be ejected in case of an emergency the very top of the Apollo stack was the launch escape system, like an ejector seat on steroids. I imagine they had to keep things as light and nimble as possible for the LES to be effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you mentioned something that's really significant. The Apollo 8 mission was the very first time humans went to the moon, Mm-mm. on top of being the first time we broke free of Earth's gravity. Like, like 11, the stakes were incredibly high. They had to first insert the correct trajectory to make it to the moon, then do a burn to enter the orbit around the moon then perform another burn to break free of the moon's gravity and head back toward Earth. If any piece was not in place, those astronauts would have spent the rest of their lives either orbiting the sun or orbiting the moon. Apollo 8 also gave us the Earthrise photo.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing a lot about Apollo 8 um, lately, too, so this person is hats off to you.
1: Uh, Jim Lovell was on both Apollo 8 and Apollo 13, He traveled to the moon twice, but never had the opportunity to land.
0: That is so sad.
1: Uh, Signed,
0: a space geek, Noah Aloy. Nice work, Noah Aloy. Aloy Aloy. Great name too. Thanks a lot for getting in touch with us. We love space geeks. We love to put you guys in headlocks and rub your heads with our knuckles until you go stop. It's called a noogie here on Earth. That's right. Um, If you want a noogie from me and Chuck, Send us a Space Geeky or any kind of geeky thing. We love that kind of stuff. You can go on to stuffyoushouldKnow.com and follow our social links, and you can send us a good old fashioned email. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.